Welcome back to This Is My Story, where I, a millennial, talk with those older and wiser than me to hear more about their lives and what is keeping them praising their Savior, Jesus, all the day long. Please, pull up a chair. Hi, Adelpha. How are you doing? Hi, Caroline. I'm doing good. Well, I'm excited to hear more about you and your story, so... Thank you for your time. Thank you. So to get started, would you tell us what year you were born and where you grew up? I was born in 1945, in November 1945. And I grew up in a small German community of a population of 2,000. Um, What your family was like growing up? Well, uh, my story will be a very, very distinctive dividing line between two cultures. You know, the Hispanic wow. culture, Mexican-American is my background. And, and then the dividing line was the white people and the Mexican people, the Mexican-American people. And, but the community I grew up in was the German community. And I, grew, I uh, was born in a family of 10 siblings. Wow, amazing. The first stillborn. Uh, I was the eighth down the line from the ten. Did you enjoy growing up with that many siblings? I, I did. I, I used to grow up saying, I, I, grew, I grew up saying, when I get married, I'm going to have ten kids. <laughs> because my mother had ten kids, so I was going to have ten kids. And I, I had zero. <laughs> it, it was a noisy family, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, very noisy. I can and uh, uh, the, probably the most negative aspect of my growing up in a, uh, in, at that time with my, my family was uh, my mother and father fought a lot. And so this was a routine thing. It was just constant mm-hmm. hollering and yelling. And, mm-hmm. and uh, my mother didn't cuss or say bad words, but my father did. And, and I just would always cringe at that. I hated that, but mm-hmm. it, it was it made the household more noisy. What was your childhood like? Uh, it was a, a combination of uh, factors. It was busy, uh, uh, being that there was uh, it was a large family, but it was also lonely because I was kind of born in a situation where all the ones that were older than me and they were all out doing their thing and then two younger brothers, and they were brothers, they didn't want their sister around. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and then I have uh, two older sisters. My, my mother and father had seven sons before they had a girl. And wow. they had three girls and then two boys. And that, that, that uh, is, is, anyway, we were 10 total. <laughs> and, um, my, my brothers, younger brothers also, were very active with their friends and they would come over. And so I was kind of a loner, just by mm-hmm. myself a lot and very contemplative. And mother would tell me that that's the way I had always been as a child. I was always the real good girl, you know. I didn't give her any trouble and I was very calm and tranquil. And I, I don't like to fight and yell and scream. Mm-hmm. And probably I attribute that to um, my parents fighting so much. I just didn't want any part of it. Yeah. Uh, and so you mentioned there was kind of that cultural divide where you grew up. Yeah, very, very definitely knowing who I was uh, uh, apart from uh, another group of people. Like there was segregation, you could call it that, you know, the segregation. 
Which, my brother and I were we just talking the other day. We were talking about the Hispanic people, and our family, our friends, sons we grew up with, mm -hmm. that uh, they, they, everybody, all these Hispanic people were, had big houses. They all had big houses, which is very unusual. Mm -hmm. Now, we, my family, did not. We lived in a, a shack, actually. Yeah. I would call it a shack, and I have pictures of it where it's very obviously because we were so many. And my dad worked for the railroad. For, by the time I was familiar with it, Daddy worked here, there, wherever. Mm -hmm. He was working for the railroad because before that he had been a sharecropper. And my mother, when she was 36 years old, she had her last child. And then she, when he started school, my brother, my youngest brother, she studied to be a nurse, and she became a nurse. Mm -hmm. And she was the first Hispanic uh, person that became a nurse. And the, and the first Hispanic professional I ever knew in my life, mm -hmm. we were real pleased with that. What was school like for you as a child growing up in that divide? Yeah, it, it was... Uh, Hard, very difficult sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, we all we grew up uh, as kind of understanding that there was discrimination and there was prejudice and and that we were treated different because we were Mexicans and Mexican Americans. However, not a one of us looked like a Hispanic person. You know, we're all very fair, mm -hmm. complexed, and none of us looked. But we knew, and they knew, <laughs> and so the 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 difference in the treatment came there. Uh, my first few years of school were uh, innocent enough, and there was a, a few Mexican-American girls, that, and we all played together mm -hmm. and hang around together. And, and in my case, uh, there were two girls, and we, from f first grade on, we were friends to the end of mm -hmm. high school. And one and one a girl, she she and I still hang around together. I mean, not oh, hang yeah. around together, still keep in touch. And the other one, I've kind of lost touch with her. Okay. So you didn't see any any hanging around uh, with uh, the mix mixing the, the the races or the ethnic group, I guess you might say. The the Mexicans didn't play with the whites, and the whites didn't play with the Mexicans, and so forth. And and uh, even in elementary school? Even in elementary. When they were group playing, you know, we played, you know, mm -hmm. like baseball or mm -hmm. whatever games we played in group playing. But uh, a lot of time we were ostracized. Most of the time we were ostracized. And that, that hurts a lot. Mm -hmm. that, that creates a deep, deep wound that takes a long time to mm -hmm. um, heal. In fact, I, it was over 30 years before I was able to forgive and stop hating. Because there began the fruit in my life, negative fruit of hate. Mm -hmm. Hating white people, mm -hmm. hating men, hating children, young people. And, and the reason for all these different groups, number one, the white people because of the discrimination, their prejudice, mm -hmm. and the pain that caused. And then the children, because I was born with um, the 
a hearing impairment. Well, I was born with what you call retinitis pigmentosa. Mm -hmm. And what that is, it's a hearing, uh, diminishing vision and a hearing impairment with uh, that particular uh, syndrome with uh, Usher D syndrome. Because a lot of times the retinitis pigmentosa with just the eyes, not both. Oh. Both with Usher D syndrome and I had both. So because I was hard of hearing, I didn't learn like others did, you know, mm -hmm. and I didn't understand. A lot of times I didn't understand what was going on. And, uh, and I also talked with a lisp. I was, uh, had a speech impediment all my life until I took speech therapy in college. And, um, and because of my speech, impediment, I was made fun of a lot, mm -hmm. I was ridiculed. And I was ridiculed with, by Hispanics too. Because of that, I, the, the humiliation I went through and the hurt and the pain, and mm -hmm. I, I began to hate young people that made fun and ridiculed and then hate white people because they made fun. Then men, uh, because I was molested several times, mm -hmm. and so I hated men because of that. And, so that I, I, I was sharing that with somebody one day and, they, and I heard somebody say, ooh, she sure hated it, a lot of people. <laughs> because really, you know, when all white people, all the men and all the children, you know, pretty much everybody. It causes a lot of confusion, a lot of confusion mm -hmm. and misunderstanding and, and, uh, and just not, not understanding what's going on and mm -hmm. what's what. I'm just uh, glad God, God in spite of myself and the fact that I didn't know Lord, the Lord, He got me through it all. Yeah. And so that was that was in the younger school years. Mm -hmm. Then there was the junior high. And what I loved most about junior high and high school was uh, PE, basketball. Yeah. I loved to play basketball. And I was in the basketball team and love playing it, but I didn't get to play much. And, mm -hmm. I, and I, I attributed that to the fact that I was Mexican. I considered myself a good player, but the coach might not have. So it got to where, when you got uh, infected with this prejudice and discrimination issue, it, it got to where you almost blame everything on that. Mm. It was because. If, if I failed a grade, it was because I was Mexican-American. <laughs> <laughs> Uh -huh. Looking back, do you think, was that just the cultural norm, or do you think that was also taught at home, that prejudice? I think it was a, a cultural norm. Mm. I really do. I think it was just, uh, that's just the way it was. Uh, the separation, the, the segregation, and I think it was, you know, this was in the 50s, late 50s. I graduated in 64, so the, the country really was going through a shift at that time for they were people beginning to challenge the uh, the segregation and you know that's when the civil rights started too that's right. yeah, so it uh, began to shift about the 50s a lot a lot of things shifted could you tell there was a shift um, in hindsight only yeah just in hindsight I was too involved in just growing up and trying to straighten out my confused emotions. And um, so I wasn't uh, really aware of sociology and 
-hmm. and uh, social issues. Yeah. So what impact did all of that have on your view of life as you graduated from high school? Uh, I had a a desire from very young to uh, excel, though I didn't excel at anything. But I was uh, wanting to go to college because that's what the white folks did. They went to college, why won't we? And they would separate us in tracks. They called college college bound and non-college bound. Well, I wasn't even asked. I was just put in non-college bound. But I never gave up the desire in my heart. It stayed in my heart that I wanted to go to college. I wanted to go to college. And I did. I ended up going to college, and I did graduate from the University of Texas, Austin, Texas. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you this. I got to meet the first Mexican-American PhD in the whole state of Texas. Her last name was Soto, S-O-T-O. And uh, there were just no Mexican-Americans on the college campus, none. And just, I would look for them. I would look for Hispanic people. Because even though maybe I didn't experience rejection in the college campus, uh, on the college campus, I. Still, it was ingrained in me. I probably would interpret any kind of conduct or behavior pattern that prejudice is uh, because. <laughs> right. So, would you say at this time the bitterness was growing still? The bitterness that you had. Oh, growing. I'm glad you brought that up. Yes, I was. I certainly was. The bitterness was growing. The hatred was growing, and. Um, and it was uh, really eating at me, eating at me. It, and I had no idea you know, what, what, what it was eating at me. I just knew I hated white people. I just knew. And the thing about it, like uh, there's an expression, you know, some of my best friends are. <laughs> well, yeah. some of my best friends were white people. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, but I did notice something. It wasn't uh, directed, the hate wasn't directed to the, to the individual. It was directed like the, the general group, but it did not hinder me from having a relationship with some you know, students that I met that became real good friends with. And that was an interesting discovery because I said, how come I don't hate them? I know I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just was real confused by that. I didn't know how to explain that for a long time until I realized that it's just, I just don't hate uh, the individual. So, and I don't know how to explain that, but I didn't hate the individual. Any individual uh, white person I met, I mean, he had every opportunity to, to just be friends with me. I would not close him off because I didn't despise or hate the individual. Wow. But the group in general, the white people, man, I really hated them. Yeah, I thought anyway. Yeah. But I did. I, I was full of hate. And it's a, it's a lonely, lonely place to be. You know, it's not a good place to be, to be full of hate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought about it often. In fact, I was so bitter that I had a sister that would listen to me. Mm-hmm. I could talk and talk and talk and she'd listen to me. And that's what I was always, always talking about. My hate, my hate, my hate, my hate. And she tried to minister to me, but she didn't know how at that time, because she was a, a believer then. She was the first one that became a believer in my family. 
but um, at that time, no, so she just listened and she didn't encourage it. She didn't encourage it, uh, but she understood. She definitely understood. She even paid for my phone calls when I would call her, when I was hurting, oh. when I was, uh, and, and a lot of the hurt and pain were uh, because of the past, because I lived in the past, mm -hmm. and that was not a good thing either. It was not a good place to be. And uh, I, I lived, uh, she lived in Austin all these years after she graduated from school, and I lived uh, in Austin too for a period of about five years. Then I lived in San Antonio. Then I lived in California, and, and, and I would call. I would call her long distance. She, and that was before every phone call was free. Oh. I, we had to pay for each individual call. And, and she'd let me talk, 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 talk. And she paid for all those phone calls. What a good sister. At that time, I didn't know what I was costing her, but wow, she sacrificed. Wow. She really sacrificed for me. And she probably kept me from becoming uh, more hateful, more misunderstood or misunderstanding. I had good uh, friends that were whites. I always, and I, I just didn't have any trouble having a relationship. However, I lived at the YWCA for five years in Austin when it was on 18th Street, and it was amazing how I ran into a friend from school. Like, I knew several, several uh, classmates, and uh, one of the most painful experiences that I experienced was when one of the girls, I graduated with her, and we, we had a lot of fun at the YWCA. And, but then, and she was making plans to get married, and, and I was involved a little bit, you know, with the planning, it was so exciting, right. and she was gonna get married. She married somebody I knew. And, and, but then when it came for the wedding, I wasn't invited. I was so shocked. I was so shocked that I wasn't invited. And that hurt me for years, mm -hmm. for years. And I see her every once in a while, and I was, I'm so tempted to just tell her what I'm, but I just, just felt like, I don't think it's a wise thing to do. Wow. You know, maybe I should, so she'd give her a chance to repent, but it was still uh, something I had to just let go. And, and the same thing happened to me in uh, junior high. Uh, a little girl that uh, I was real good friends with, and in the summer we played together. Mm -hmm. And she, and she uh, was, uh, we got along just great, just real good. Then lo and behold, she has a birthday and has a birthday party. And I'm not invited. And all, we played the whole summer long. But I couldn't believe that she didn't invite me. Surely there was a mistake. There had to be a mistake. Right. And I couldn't believe it. I wouldn't accept it. I went to the town, the, the store where we always bought things, and the name of it was Forbes. And I bought her a real expensive gift, you know, the electric children's iron and an ironing Aww. board. And I just went up to quickly charge things there all the time. And I went to that party crashed it, not even knowing it did. <laughs> but I shocked them, because I saw the look on their faces and the mother, like when she opened the door, when I knocked on the door and she opened the door, and I saw that look on her face, and I knew that I hadn't been invited, but I, surely I was. <laughs> I mean, I was so insistent that I had 
surely they just, she wouldn't have ignored me. We were friends. We had played together all summer long, and we were just a year apart. And no, so they 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 were real decent. The mother and the adult, but the young, the younger kid didn't play with me. So I just I stayed as long as I could, and then I left. But that was another example of how how I misunderstood a relationship, and then was shocked to find out that. It was because. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness, what an expression. It was because. They stayed with me all my life. I, I had a, I pastored for almost 20 years. I had a church and I had a school, a Christian school. And, and then in the evenings, I taught a class on uh, anger resolution. And I had this class for people that, that needed to have some anger resolution or anger management. But I didn't want to call it anger management because I didn't think Jesus had died just for you to manage your anger. Wow. Jesus died so that you could get rid of your anger. So I called it anger resolution. And not by my own creation. Mm -hmm. uh, the title is, it was through Bill Gothard, uh, uh, a minister, mm -hmm. Bill Gothard. And, uh, and he had the teaching himself, you know, so he provided for the, the teaching. And it's to forgive, to forgive. The forgiveness is just the key mm. to a peaceful life, you know. Oh, that's good. Easier said than done, but once you do it. It releases you of so big, heavy a burden. Mm. A burden that the enemy puts on you because he has a right to if you're going to hate. You know, Jesus doesn't want you to hate. So you got to obey or carry the burden and you got to forgive you know the bible makes it real clear forgive or you won't be forgiven were you interested in jesus after you were in california or once you moved back uh, to texas I, i've always uh been interested in the spiritual things mm. uh, i, I uh, wanted to be a spiritual person so i had interest in things like witchcraft and uh, uh, the occult New Age, mm. things like that, and got involved, got involved to quite an extent. I didn't get involved, like, uh, I never got into the Ouija board. I probably did it once or twice, but that's, that's about it, and I didn't get trapped. Mm. At that time, of course, I didn't know that it, you could get trapped, but in hindsight, of course, I knew better. And I like to go to these people that could read your poem or read your tarot cards. Mm -hmm. They call them tarot cards, I think. And then uh, the interest in gaining power. But I, I was spiritual, remember? Right. <laughs> I wanted power to help people. And I, and I wanted to learn all I could about that, about it, that dark world. And, uh, and so I was involved with that. And wherever I went, when I traveled, I always went to these stores where there was uh, literature, of New Age literature, witchcraft stuff. Mm -hmm. And I got interested in being an, a white witch. They call it a white witch. That means you're the nice kind of witch. <laughs> but because I was so busy with school, I, I didn't have the time to really immerse myself in it. So I, there were several times that I took time apart to try to immerse myself into it. 
just, I just didn't. And I recognize the reason that, that I never got trapped, and that was because I was always, always, always sleepy and tired. And, the, and because I was sleepy all the time, or I just started reading something, I never really could get into, get immersed in the reading literature because I would get so sleepy. Mm -hmm. And what it was is that all these years, since the third grade, I had sleep apnea. And mm -hmm. I had other sleep disorders, insomnia and other sleep disorders. And I was always fatigued and tired and sleepy. So that's what kept me safe from a lot of attempts. I made a lot of attempts mm -hmm. to get more involved in, in the occult new age activities. Mm -hmm. and, and whenever I got born again, the lady, which was in our church, mm -hmm. she um, really just let me know from the very beginning that it was wrong, it was evil, and I shouldn't have anything to do with it. And I got so mad at her, and I didn't want to hear this, it was wrong, because I was wanting to do this for good, exactly. to help people, and she, I can't, she couldn't be right. Well, but I, I was so hungry to know the Bible and to have her mentoring me that uh, I didn't walk off. <laughs> so I stayed with her for a good several years, you know, her teaching me the Bible. So what was it that initially made you interested in Jesus? Because you went from tarot cards to hungry for the Bible. I knew about the crucifix. And I even wore a crucifix, but I had no understanding of this. And this is in my teenage years. Mm. But I was drawn to God. Okay. Um, I knew the name Jesus, but just like on a very, very superficial level. And it was more, I had no understanding whatsoever of a personal relationship that he died for my sins, but I could answer the questions that were asked. In fact, I'm not sure I even understood the term Christ or was familiar with it. The things began to open up to me in college at the University of Texas here in Austin rather than San Antonio. Mm -hmm. And it was in 1980. My sister uh, invited me to attend church with her. And, and I decided to go. And I went one Sunday with her, and I got real mad at the preacher. You know, who does he think he is? And everybody's going to hell. And walked out mad and, and just didn't think that there was, there was the right thing to say. Mm -hmm. So then later, not right away, but later, my sister invited me again, on, and I went on a Wednesday night. And it was the same fiery preaching, you know, about, about hell and heaven and so forth. But it wasn't like, I was convicted by hell or heaven or anything. It was just that I wanted something. Mm. But I didn't, I couldn't have told you what I wanted. And when he, he called to come to the altar, uh, I went, uh, but I went fighting all the way in my heart. Because the thing about it, uh, Caroline, I commune with God all the time. I talk to God. Mm -hmm. Talk to God. And if you'd have asked me, but do you know God? Yes, I know God. I talk to him all the time. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm, I'm fussing and fussing on the way to the altar, and I said, you know, I don't know why this is necessary. I don't know 
that I want to do this, but you know, you're urging me to do it, and so I'm just doing it out of obedience, but I don't see why I have to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just fussing and arguing, fussing mm -hmm. and So when I got to the altar and the little girl that was ministering to me uh, asked me if I wanted to receive Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, and uh, I said, well, what do I have to do to do that? And she said, well, you have to confess that you're a sinner. I'm not a sinner. Oh, no, not me. I'm a nice person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and she never deviated from the scriptures. She would say, well, the Bible says, and she'd show me that all have come, have come short of the glory of God and have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And, and I said, but I'm not a sinner. I know that I'm not a sinner. I, I know all, everything I've ever done and why I've done it. Mm -hmm. I know uh, there's a reason for everything that I did, and I and I'm I'm a psychology major, and I and I know all these things about sin, the things that people do, bad things. That I understand those things, so I, I'm not I'm not uh, a sinner. And I just wouldn't admit it, and she kept telling me. Uh, she just kept taking me back to the scriptures. What the scriptures say, and I said, "Well, I'm just, I'm just not a sinner." And I'm sure she was frustrated, but she couldn't show it. <laughs> and then she said, uh, "Well, you need to confess Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior." Well, okay, but I'm not a sinner, <laughs> so I, I confess Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, and ask Him to forgive my sins, even though I'm not a sinner. Ask him to forgive my sins. And then I received Jesus and I knew something something changed. And I would never been the same ever since. When that happened, and that was in December of 1980, I, I was so happy and I felt so lighthearted. That the weight had the weight of guilt, you know, had lifted up. I didn't know that, but you know, something changed. After that it was just one thing after another that I was always seeking and searching mm -hmm. for, to study, to read, to know. And I let my, um, I told my sociology teacher that I got born again. I just went and testified to him and he said, well, I'm a believer too. I said, I think you need to meet my wife. Because I had told him about my involvement with the occult and new age and things like that. He said, you, you need to talk to my wife. So he gave me a book on the spiritual gift by Kenneth Hagin. And I read that book, and by the time I was finished with it, I was ready to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. I had heard that there were young people there that were leading people to the Lord and, and just speaking in tongues, and so I needed to go see them. So I did. So I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I want to speak in tongues. And I'm real mad at this because they're white people, they're white young people. Oh. Why, God, why do you have to send me to white people? Are you dealing with me or what? <laughs> and uh, so they got around me and prayed that I would receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and while all this is going on, I'm having, I'm having this struggle with these white kids. Mm. And even though, uh, all the friends that I had were like them, you know, white kids. Right. But it, it was just the idea of 
why would something so important in my life that it have to be credited to white kids, you know, white people? So I was, I was struggling. But anyway, I started speaking in tongues, and of course, that just brought another change in my life. You know, just a tremendous, tremendous change. Mm -hmm. And that's when the conviction of my hate for white people began to to really work on me. Thought it really convicted me. The Holy Spirit started convicting me of uh, sin and righteousness and judgment. And uh, and and I and I confessed to them at the end when I got the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking things. Mm -hmm. I, I confessed to them that I was really mad at them. <laughs> mm -hmm. That I, I that I had ha I hated white people and and that but I didn't anymore. And uh, and I thank him. And I think that was the last time I ever saw him. But uh, it was an interesting experience. That came from the sociology teacher, my college teacher. That uh, because of him, I was kind of indirectly led to them because his wife is the one that gave me the book and and talked to me for a long time about how the occult was not right and not good and it was evil and witchcraft and I, I should have nothing to do with witchcraft. So that was, and that was just a one-time encounter, but it, it was life-changing. Then I was told about a, a Women's Aglow meeting. Mm -hmm. So I went to that Women's Aglow meeting and I don't know who the woman was that was preaching, but she was a, a, a female. From that point on, I had decided to minister. But what I was going to say was that when the service was over, mm -hmm. I dropped to my knees. I cried and cried and I sobbed and I sobbed and I sobbed and I sobbed and I cried and I cried and I cried. Mm -hmm. And the lady that was the speaker came and took me in her arms and just cradled me and rocked me. And I cried and cried and cried and cried and cried. And I thought, what happened is I cried out all that hate. The Lord was doing a healing, and all that hate came out. And from that point on, I didn't hate children anymore, young people. They ridiculed and made fun of me and so forth. Mm -hmm. I didn't hate men anymore. I didn't look at them as monsters that just were nasty, you know. I didn't uh, hate white people anymore. Mm -hmm. I began to really appreciate a lot of things about white people after that. And, and it just cleaned me up. I just uh, took all that hate and I was a different, it was another life-changing experience. You know, God just has, he starts dealing with you with a lot of stuff. But you know, it was five years. I had been a Christian for five years. It happened. It did. Yeah. So why do you continue to believe in him and love him now? Why do I continue to love him? Mm -hmm. I, Caroline, I really have to credit this to the Lord himself. That he has, I, I thank him all the time for putting that love in my heart, because I know he put it in my heart. And sometimes when I'm worshiping him and blessing him, I, I, I thank him because I love him. But I know that I love him because he first loved me. Mm. And I just uh, know how it would be impossible without him. And I can take no credit, and and I long ago I, I determined that I didn't want to uh, 
fall out of love with the Lord. So I prayed, I said, Lord, you watch over me because I don't want to stop loving you. And I don't trust myself. Anything can happen, but you are going to have to keep me and guard me with your keeping power that I not uh, lose interest and get cold. Mm-hmm. And I want to I want to always be in love with you, and I want you to make sure of it. That's what I did, and I still do it. I said, Lord, don't forget now. You need to keep me. <laughs> I know that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ, mm-hmm. and that the Lord is uh, my Lord and Savior, not just my Savior, but He's my Lord. Though I still am not as obedient as I'd like to be. Mm-hmm. And He, uh, he had been so faithful. Though I've had my challenges, and the one, the the biggest one is the one I'm going through right now. When I got diagnosed with diabetes, when I had been working so hard not to overdo it in in, in any way, like mm-hmm. overeating or, or um, you know, not eating too much sugar, keeping my weight down, drinking a lot of water and mm-hmm. so forth, and and I still got it. And I felt betrayed. I said, you know, Lord, hey, you know, you're supposed to be taking care of me. I'm, I'm good. I, you, yeah. I don't know if you ever saw Audrey Hepburn. I'm a good girl. I yeah. am. <laughs> I'm a good girl. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, that it was his. I just blamed him for it because mm-hmm. so it took me a long time to get over that because I felt really betrayed. And now I'm just like, uh, I don't blame him. And I don't feel betrayed, but uh, I'm still looking for my healing. Mm-hmm. I'm still believing for my healing. And I am so much better. There were times when I, if I went just too far without eating, I'd get, go berserk sometimes, or shake a lot. Now this shaking is from, par, uh, from my Parkinson, mm-hmm. but uh, I'd shake. And I, I don't have those episodes anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I, there's a definite change. I quote this scripture a lot, and it says that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but he delivers them out of them all. Because I, I, I can list off, you know, from my, the crown of my head to the soles of my feet, list off all of these afflictions, and, uh, and I just present them before the Lord all the time. Mm. You know, like my Parkinson. And, yeah. and, and, uh, and uh, he's, he's with me, I know that. Sometimes I'd say, but what? So what? <laughs> I know you're with me. I mean, I know you never leave me nor forsake me, but I mean, like, I want it to be something more significant, like healing. <laughs> mm. But um, it's, it's very, very important to me not to lose touch with the Lord. Mm. I just love Him so much. How do you encourage your faith when you become discouraged? Uh, I don't often become discouraged, but I get uh, like a feeling sometimes of, of a sense of not well-being. You know, the sense of well-being was the opposite. You know, just, just don't feel. And it's I, I go to somebody for prayer right away. I call somebody for prayer. I said, I, I want to. I want Jehovah Shalom. Nothing lacking. Nothing missing. Nothing broken. I want that sense of well-being. When you have that sense of well-being, especially in these days of isolation, 
you don't uh, feel lonely. You don't mm -hmm. feel bad. You don't. You can be by yourself all day long, and you're just fine. And wow. and the thing about uh, part of not getting discouraged too much is to like yourself. You know, I, I like me. I, I I'm good company to me. And the reason I like me is because I'm uh, to me I'm the kind of person that I like being around. You know, the way I think, or the way mm -hmm. I try, the way I repent, the way I. Uh, I'm conscious of what I need to straighten up in my life, and I don't get into guilt. It was, I live a lifestyle of repentance, mm -hmm. and just having the Lord just, you know, always conscious of God right there. It's what keeps me from uh, getting discouraged, is because I'm always conscious of the Lord. He's ever in my thought. My every thought is of you, my Lord, or something like wow. that. You know, my every thought is of you. And two, uh, I, I listen to uh, Christian programs only. And mm. I'm very encouraged by the teachers that I listen to. I like, uh, you know, certain teachers a whole lot mm -hmm. because I have diminishing vision, so it's not like I have, can do much. Mm. This is my, and so between uh, being. Uh, not being able to see very well and not being able to do much because I can't see to do it. And I'm, I'm before the TV a lot. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, and I kind of have to watch that too because I, want to, I don't want it to be an idol. But I can't stand to be without my TV because then I'm without anything to do. I can't read. That's, see, right. that's what hurts the most. You know, not being able to read because of my diminishing vision. And I keep telling the Lord, I said, Lord, now I don't want to go blind. You know, the people with retinitis pigmentosa, so that's the, I guess you can say prognosis, that's that they go blind. Cause it's like tunnel vision until you get to pinch a point. But he's, he's, he's worth it. Wow. He's worth it. He's, he just, he, what he did. I mean, you know, when you contemplate on what he did for you, how he died for you, what he saved you from, how you're not going to go to hell for all eternity. So what would you say to someone who is skeptical of Jesus? Well, they really need to open up and ask Jesus himself to make yourself, Jesus is not going to deny you if you ask him, uh, show me Show me who you really are. Show me if you're real. If you're real, show me. That's all you have to do, challenge him. Just, just do it and get convinced because your whole eternal life depends on it. And it's not hard, it's not a hard thing to ask. And Jesus is faithful. The Bible says he is faithful. And then once you decide to follow him and be part of the family of God, you can trust him to raise you up but my my biggest uh, strongest exhortation is ask him to make himself real to you he's not going to let you down it may not be immediate but he will be faithful to show you if your heart is sincere god cannot lie he's not a man that he should lie so when he says if you search me with all your heart you will find me that's what's going to happen. 
So, but see, if you don't have any interest in searching for him, you need to consider what if it's true? I may think it's not true, but what if it is? Mm. Ask God to show you, and He will, because you sure don't want to be so arrogant as to think you know more than God does, and then lose your salvation, lose your uh, eternal life in heaven for eternity in hell, all because of your arrogance, your pride, your thinking of yourself more highly than you ought, yeah. and being so prideful of your intelligence or your intellect. And I know what that's like. I, I had made an idol of my intellect, of my intelligence. So that's what my exhortation would be. Search him until you find him, because you're going to be without him for all eternity if you don't. So what would you say to a follower of Jesus? Yeah. Don't lose your first love. Always be very, very aware when you're just like you know. I haven't been to church for a long time because of my my issues with pain. But even that, you got to look at. Make sure that you're not separating yourself from the church or from the body of Christ. Mm. To be always aware of your relationship with Christ. Where is it? Are you cold, warm, or hot? And, and uh, keep in mind that the Bible is true, and if the Bible says that he's going to vomit you out of his mouth because you are warm, he's going to do it. Mm. And you don't want him to spit you out of his mouth or vomit you out of his mouth. And uh, God is not hard to deal with. He's a very reasonable God. And he said, let us reason together, even. Let us reason together. Let's talk. Yeah. God loved to have us talk with him. And he loved to talk to you. Wait, listen to him and hear what he had to say. But one thing to remember is how much he loves you. Yeah. How much, how much, how much he loves you. And he, he proved it on the cross. What more do you want? What more do you want? Do you have any final thoughts to those listening? Well, I do. Love the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love Him because He loves you. And it won't be hard to love Him because He would first put that love in you to love Him. Mm. It's not hard to love Him. It's just choice. It's your decision. And choose. Choose life. You know, the Bible does say, Choose you this day whom you will serve. Will you serve life or will you serve death? Choose life. Choose life. And, and Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he is life. And he's so good. And perhaps that's something we need to become more aware of, how good he is. Maybe the church has not taught us strongly enough that he loves us. We, we, we maybe have taught, because uh, I kind of grew up with, you know, the punishing God. You know, he'll punish you, he'll punish you. And, and he's, not a, he's not a punishing God. He's not out to punish you. There are consequences. 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 Everything has a consequence, even your decision to uh, go to hell or not. Yeah. But it grieves him. He says, you know, he has feelings. It grieves him 
when we're cho making choices that are going to hurt us, especially for all eternity. And he does not want anyone to go to hell. It is not his will that any should perish. It is his will that all come to the knowledge, saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I think of John three seventeen, which to me is so countercultural. It says, um, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. And it completely right. debunks the idea that God is an angry God and he's here to smite us. But mm -hmm. in fact, he's here to save us. Mm -hmm. um, That's so true. That's so good. He's good. And he wants to, um, to, to be, he wants so much to be part of your life. Mm -hmm. To be part of every, every detail of your life. Well, thank mm -hmm. you again. This well, has you're been welcome. so encouraging. You're welcome. Uh, would you mind praying over those listening? Not no, I'd love to. I would love it. I do. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for dying for us. Thank you that you don't send anybody to hell. It is everyone's choice what, where they will go, where they will spend eternity. Thank you that you prepared a home for us with you if we choose that. And I pray for everyone that is listening and with hearing of my voice, Lord, that you touch their hearts, prepare their heart to receive the salvation knowledge of Jesus Christ. Prepare their hearts, Father. Father, I resisted you. There'll be many out there that resist you and will think that this is not for real. Well, I know it's for real and I can only urge others to believe you. You're so good to us and so good to provide this opportunity. And I ask, Lord God, that many within the hearing of my voice will consider Christ and will say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Quick note, as you heard, Adelpha remains joyful and hopeful as she believes God for a miracle to heal her from head to toe. If you would pray that God would heal her and restore her health, I know she would appreciate it. Thanks so much for spending time with us today. I pray this encouraged you to love and learn from those around you. And if this specific story resonated with you in any way, we really would love to hear from you in the reviews or email us at podcastthisismystory at gmail.com. Until next time, remember that Jesus died for you because Jesus loves you and friends, this is only the start of your story.